I just quietly forward. Yeah, pretty much. I just left uh, Beverly's. Oh. Old Beverly's. <laughs> you go by yourself? Yeah. After dropping the cab off at Vinny and Michaela's, I was like, I have worked myself up an appetite, so I'm going to go to fucking Bev's. Hell got yeah. the uh, the the old farmer's daughter, the old reliable. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know that's my favorite. Yeah, if you're in Oklahoma City and you're listening to this right now and you don't know where to get a good old fashioned American diner experience, twenty four hours, hun, Shug, then uh, <laughs> head on down to Beverly's. Pancake I've definitely place. been called Shug at Beverly before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, same. And honey, lots of honey. Yep. I thought about getting a piece of pie today, but like go real old school, get some coffee and some pie. But yeah. I, had, I had two blueberry pancakes, so I was like, ah, I've had enough sweets. Yeah, dude, the Southern food, it's uh, the Bible Belt food in general. Dude, it's the shit. <laughs> it takes a heavy toll on one's one's form. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Certain. <laughs> But it's good for the soul. It's good for the soul. It's good for the soul. See, that's what they say because yeah, ain't good for the heart. One thing it's good for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not good for the heart. Not good for the gut. Yeah, not good for the brain. But uh, great for the soul. (laughs) No, you got you got to have that stuff. It was just one of those days. It was one of those days where I was just like, "Wow, I had a shitty day already. What? How can I feel better?" Some decaf coffee, stack of pancakes, hash browns, an egg, you know? Like Oh yeah. Well well people say like there there actually is an element of uh indulging yourself in that kind of way. Like the example is always Warren Buffett because he eats McDonald's <laughs> every morning or something, gets like bacon, egg and cheese, and he drinks a Coke every day. And it's like He's he's super old, so. But, I don't know, and, and there's there's like the old the stereotype of the old dude that smokes but still lives till he's like ninety five, or something like that. A lot of Asians, dude. A lot of Asians are that way too, like Chinese. That's actually what when COVID first started happening, a lot of Chinese like people that are our age and younger were trying to convince their mainland family like it's real and they need to quit smoking and everything and they're in much like here a lot of the parents and older generations were like nah whatever fuck that like we've been smoking for centuries why would we stop now and like (laughs) well isn't it like thailand where they there aren't the same cigarette age laws and they like sell cigarettes outside of schools. Oh, like, I'm sure high schoolers. I'm not. I don't know if that if it's Thailand, but yeah, I'm not sure if it's Thailand. I'm just pulling that out of my ass. But I mean, there's plenty of countries that if you're tall as the bar, then you can drink. So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, with that logic, I wouldn't be surprised that some countries allow children to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, and I wonder if their I wonder if their cigarettes are cleaner than ours. Technically, like maybe they don't have the same type of chemicals or whatever. What kind of difference would that really make? See, I feel like it's it's always a uh, like a cultural thing or like how you're raised. Because if you just give your kids cigarettes, if you just give your kids cigarettes. (laughs) 
but like really if you, camel were, like, it, if you were given it in a certain context and told that like this you know like this isn't a regular thing to do but like here you know it's a it's something in life a lot of people like it you know yeah. your dad enjoys it <laughs> whatever right right like i don't know maybe you maybe you would actually think it's ridiculous to smoke like five times a day yeah no i think like, i think if you give kids the option and you tell you show them like what there is in the world and you just talk to them like they can understand it because they totally can then the chances of them like like i take drinking for example like my dad let me drink beer when i was 16 17 18 like and that's even that's that's pretty i don't know pretty old i well i mean i drink i drink plenty without their supervision i knew how to get it on my own but like he would let me have one at a cookout that we were having or something like one with my like that was the drink of choice for my meal was like a heineken beer or something now that i'm 27 and when i turned 21 i didn't want to go and like have a big drinking party like it wasn't that yeah it wasn't that big of a deal really like I had already had alcohol. Like, it just, I feel like it becomes less of a problem for future you if you're just exposed to it at an early age in a healthy environment. One that doesn't provide, like, some kind of trauma that you're going to start fixing, fixing, quote unquote, with the alcohol, you know? Yeah. And you have an adult there to be like, yeah, you shouldn't use this as like a escape. This is just something if you like it, go ahead and try it. You know, you can enjoy it when you get older. Yeah. No, and I feel like that's the classic example. Like you let your kids experiment with alcohol a little bit and get over the novelty and just make it not such a dogma dogma or a stigma. Mm-hmm. And, and then when they turn 21, they don't feel like they have to just go loose and experiment to the extremes or I don't know. And that's, you know, that's a pretty little example. It's, it probably doesn't always work out like that. Yeah. Everything's situational. I mean, but but still there's something to just like trusting your kids or like not trying to hide that stuff from them. Yeah. I also understood the price of alcohol, like how much it costs at a young age because my dad would make me buy it. So what he would do is he would like have me give him money and then he would go buy like a six pack or like a, I don't know if he could find it, a single like beer or something and a couple of them, like three or four, but I would pay for it. And then he would hide them or like keep them stashed away or I couldn't find them or anything. And that's how we did that whole transaction. And so yeah. I understood like beer can get expensive. <laughs> so then it was yeah. like sometimes even when you're young, you're like, I don't want to spend that much money to get, you know, even shitty beer. Cause when I was younger, craft beer wasn't that popular. So it was all just like shitty Corona and Heineken and all that. Like, yeah, which are still beers I love today, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't drink as much anymore. Like, I don't – I have a beer, like, maybe two or three at a show. But, like, other than that. Well, that's the thing is, like, it's just – it's something that's 
it's a special event. It's not the norm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like that basic kind of self-governing to, I don't know, be able to indulge in things and not have them take over your life. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a basic form of self-governing. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately that like, I think, well, like my, uh, my brothers and well, I'll just say that my family has like a lot of history and roots of addiction. And, and once you really think a lot about addiction and like what it is at its base, when you take away the adjectives, like the, the substances, the particular substances or behaviors or like all the connotations and you just think about what it is at its root, then you realize that a lot of people are just functioning addicts. Oh yeah. Like I was thinking recently, the most, most modern people are functioning addicts. I, th- I think our country and most things were built on the backs of functioning addicts. <laughs> Even yeah. the workforce enforces like a functioning addict mentality with coffee, cigarettes, like mm. maybe not cigarettes as much anymore, but that um, used to be a, do- a dominant part of uh, like business culture. Almost yeah. though, it's tobacco, tobacco, cigars and coffee and scotch. Yeah. <laughs> But really all, all sorts of substances and behaviors. And like that's normal. So there's there's something about to it that's like very normal and goes far back in time. Like humans and even animals like using substances to basically just regulate their own consciousness or have like a lever that they can pull. That's how coffee was ex- – uh discovered i think actually there were like goats that were eating it and farmers were noticing their goats were getting like this i heard this from i heard this from someone else so if you google this and it's completely wrong <laughs> then uh then uh no, i like that i like that story though they yeah My they noticed hype, man. yeah i mean they noticed their goats were getting like anxious like they were getting more prone to being like just jittery and scared of everything all the time and they're like this doesn't make sense they found berries they were eating turned out to be coca nut like whatever they are the seeds or whatever the fuck beans that's it beans <laughs> yeah um coffee beans not coca beans um yeah at least that's what i and think coca leaves I don't know what I'm saying. Oh. I just work here. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, like co- coffee's a big one. Coffee's the coffee's my big indulgence. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Dude, but, it it dr- sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, uh but no. my like I don't drink a lot of coffee anymore and if I do it's decaf. Both times I've been to Beverly's in the past month I've had decaf coffee. I still love black coffee so much. Um, and then I forgot decaf was even a thing. Um, so I've been enjoying that. But so you're like not doing caffeine. Still. I'm trying. Yeah. The only caffeine I have is soda and I have a soda, which I'm getting to another point. I have an addiction, uh, that we could talk about here in a little bit, but it does have to do with my soda indulgence. <laughs> um, I just like shitty food. I'm addicted to shitty, which I mean, a lot of people are, but like, that I'm yeah. noticing that's a really big problem in my life. Like I stress eat a lot. Like today, that's why I went to Beverly's. I was stressed out and I was like, I need some coffee. I need the smell and taste of coffee and like shitty, greasy breakfast food. 
yeah. and I feel a lot better. <laughs> and that it's probably not a good thing. But, um, yeah, um, having coffee, I have to have it at like 7 a.m. now after not having it. And I miss it so much. But if I drink it past like 10 a.m., I'm up. I'm up all night until like 4 a.m. the next day. Damn. And so coffee really is that, like, America's prime indulgence. Like, and you think about Starbucks, too, the dominant coffee. There are people legit spend an hour in Starbucks line, like, every day. Dude, I've turned around. I've turned around at... So I've gone, I've turned around in more Starbucks lines than I have stood in line for them, like inside and through the drive through. I've been like, no, nope, I'm getting the fuck out of here. This is so stupid. I'm about to pay like five ninety five for a cup of coffee that fucking big. And I'm going to sit in a line that takes 45 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that's yeah, addict okay. behavior, though. And that's what's. Oh, it's. Yeah, and all of uh, <clears throat> most most of the commodities that people are addicted to, they're pumping in price. Mm-hmm. Except for really, except for sugar, sugar and like, I guess corn, wheat. It's because they can make uh, sugar. Well, sugar is actually subsidized by the government in a weird way through being through corn being subsidized because mm. like lots of corn is subsidized, and then most sugar that's in things is uh high fructose corn syrup yeah isn't like most of our shit just made from like corn and uh fucking what's it called uh like soybeans and stuff yeah yeah that's that's a lot of stuff corn soybeans wheat uh things that aren't good for you huge portion right there you know it's it's complicated i don't fully understand it but at least in the proportions that we eat it in the context that we eat it it's clear like that when you get like like they have these little snacks at my work put out snacks every day and sometimes you just be getting like like they have like white cheddar popcorn puffs Mm -hmm. and you just pull it out and it's just this like puffed corn styrofoam street (laughs) yeah yeah you would pack a computer in a box with that stuff with just cheese powder on it and you're and you're like, man, this isn't, uh, <laughs> this isn't stuff. This isn't natural. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of the thing. It's, uh, I think play Plato's the one that said, let food be thy medicine. Mm. And we, uh, we definitely like, there's, there's deep insight in that, in that it's a respect for nature. Also the like nature has really complex properties that, we've been consuming and like almost co-evolved with for a long time. And you compare that to just a corn puff. Right. Uh, Chemically made corn puff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, the, the price of coffee, the price of cigarettes. Oh, we got a visitor again. Oh yeah. I see him back there. Kibbe. Yeah, all those things really going up. Have you uh, have you heard people talking about the price of lumber? Uh-uh. Oh, yes. Tyler mentioned it yeah. like a month ago or something, a while ago. Yeah, lumber's gone up like 
500 plus percent or something. I don't know where it's at exactly now, but it, it got to the point where people were starting to steal lumber. Damn. It's, uh, this is kind of a good, I guess, good little tidbits to throw in for what we're going to talk about later, which is basically just money and what is money, mm-hmm. which is a subject I love. But yeah, before then, uh, is any, any cool stories? Uh, I mean, this week? Uh, it's not that cool, but I have a story. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wait, is it your new job title? Have you started that? Oh no, I'm gonna save that for the future. Okay. But I am working in the weed industry, so that's that's cool. That's a cool. Yeah, story. the your new job title is probably one of the coolest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'm gonna get some more thoughts and some more experience this week, and then I'll be I'll be down to talk about that for yeah. sure. But I was just gonna mention the 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 place that all of our bands practice pretty much uh, had a fire in the break room of the practice area of the practice spot. Um, so it's not a cool story, but it's a story regardless. <laughs> was this last night? Uh, I oh. actually don't know when it happened. I think it was in the past two or three days, maybe two days ago. But I'm thinking what happened is someone left a cigarette out or threw a cigarette away that was still lit. Yeah, speaking of cigarettes. Right. Uh, yeah, threw a cigarette away in the trash can maybe or like put it in the ashtray and they dumped the ashtray into the trash can. They said they had an arson investigation too though. Damn. So like maybe maybe it was arson. I don't really know. Um, yeah, I mean, every single room has, uh, minor smoke damage. So that kind of fucking, that actually really sucks for everyone. Yeah. I'm glad all, all of our shit didn't burn down though. Yeah. Cause I have most of my big pieces of equipment yep. in there. And that's what I, today I wiped them for, for any of you listening, if you have smoke damage, I guess wipe it down with white vinegar. Uh, cause that seemed to clean it off for the most part um didn't seem to leave any discolorization or it doesn't smell like white vinegar now it just kind of smells kind of it smells like really shitty plastic barbecue like if you were to get a ba- <laughs> slack of plastic ribs <laughs> and slather it if you if you th- 3d printed a rack of ribs and or you just don't in, take them out of the package. Yeah, don't take them out, and you slather <laughs> that in barbecue sauce and let it, you know, even sit overnight, and then you throw it on the grill and you forget about it. That's what it probably smells like. It's really unpleasant. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. There's usually there's not a ton of fires in Oklahoma, but obviously if you leave a cigarette out around a bunch of flammable shit. There, there was just uh, up here in Utah, it was smoky for like a week from the California fires happening again. Well, that's what's crazy is that here... It blows through, then leaves, blows away. That's insane. It like, <clears throat> it made me so mad though, because the wettest year that Oklahoma has, we have a contained indoor man-made fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, of all fucking years. Um We've not had that many fires at all this year because it's just been wet. Yeah. Dude, that speaking, w- of, 
Speaking of contained fires. Whoa. Uh Uh-uh. This is uh, from the Richard Branson, like, flight to space thing. This is is what I was going to bring up. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. For y'all listening, we're looking at a... At Unity Twenty Two Space Flight live stream on YouTube right now. Virgin, well, this was Virgin this Galactic. was live streamed on. Oh, yeah, it already on it. did. It already go. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's I like uh, it's like this plane unit with two fuselage, two different fuselage, mm. and it's carrying like the actual rocket ship okay. that kind of looks like a jet. I'm gonna see if it shows. That's like from the side, the future mm-hmm. lodge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's oh, it's that's got people in there. Richard Branson. Do you know who Richard Branson is? Huh. He's he's like a billionaire. Oh, uh, so it's his private company. Yeah, it's Virgin, Virgin Galactic. Okay. But it was it was. I thought this story was interesting because he like him and Virgin Galactic like they've been working on their own like space program where it's like private trips to Mm. space like quick private trips and they're like racing with jeff bezos's company which i think is blue blue origin or something like that and they launched this like right before like i think jeff bezos's company is supposed to go to space this month sometime Mm. and they they wanted to be first i guess so they launched damn (laughs) but um so when so the question is when do they start uh when does the bloodshed start happening between these two companies <laughs> between these two billionaires I, mean, <laughs> I don't i don't know i don't know if they're exactly competing i don't know what blue origin is doing but for virgin galactic they they've already pre-sold like 250 tickets for wow. 250,000 each Jesus. Maybe it's more tickets than that. I'm not sure. But each ticket is $250,000. And, yeah, you get, like, a two-hour round-trip flight, like, up into space for a little while and then back down. Man, uh, that's, like, ah, that's so much fucking money. That's ridiculous. That's definitely, like, you you have to have a few million in order to be able to afford that unless you're just spending like all your life savings on it. He's not even looking out the window, this guy. I think they're on the launch. Well, no, it hasn't gone off. Oh, How yeah, you, that's I'd what I'd be looking like. out the window. That seems like a good time. Well, he does. They like get up in space and he like floats around for a minute. That was the clip that everyone saw. But the hope is to bring down the price of space flight eventually. Right. That's what they're saying. But it, it was just interesting because, like, if you were paying attention to the news, like, I don't know, they just spun this whole thing as, like, billionaires are trying to flex on each other. Mm. And I don't know, they're making it about, like, the money. And even people were saying that it's wrong, that, like, Billy, like, if someone outside of a government can go to space, then that's a sign that stuff is bad. And I like, I don't know. I hate that kind of reasoning. Like, I think it's good anytime people go to space or, or advance the technology, like advance the whole ecosystem. Yeah. I'm going to see when this thing launches from the fuselage. 
Oh. There it goes. That looks crazy. But yeah. Pretty crazy. So now well, it's also like people, people act like uh, people act like there's only like two or three billionaires in the world. Also, yeah, like they act like these are the only ones. <laughs> yeah, and that's where it's kind of dumb. Where they're like, this space exploration is a sign that that things are broken. When really there's like 999 other billionaires that are quiet and no one knows their names Mm -hmm. and what are they doing like you know they're they're in business behind closed doors and they're not in the popular eye to even be criticized but oftentimes they might be the ones doing the most sketchy shit yeah and with what we're going to talk about later like central bankers are a perfect example of those people kind of behind closed doors Did your parents and teachers ever teach you about money? Oh, yeah, man. You ever learn about money in school? like Good old Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, that's what. <laughs> yeah, man, I had a finance class. I didn't learn shit. <laughs> yeah. I learned that you weren't supposed to get a credit card and that uh, you're supposed to do a bunch of other shit. I can't remember. Yeah, if anyone else took Dave Ramsey, let us know. Uh, I, yeah, I know that whole theory. It's just, you know, a diversified portfolio. Don't take out any debt. And yeah. Save X percent of your money. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, it's interesting. I was pretty curious about money when I was like a little kid, but I never learned about it. Like really much, like you learn about finance, you learn about, you know, maybe economics, may, maybe some bit of economics, but you're always learning like layers above what money actually is or like basically what I would call the first principles. But um, I, I remember when I was like 10, I would have these imaginations of like, well, you know, you want to buy all this stuff. Like once you figure out, you know, what money is in the basic way, like you buy things with money, your parents are the ones that have money and they, go to the grocery store like maybe you look around sam's and you see all the trampolines and like the go-karts right and you're like ah, oh, what if i had unlimited money to like buy all this stuff what if i could buy the whole store mm-hmm. and i would imagine like what if what if i had a money printer like just to print un- unlimited dollars and like I-, I remember having that imagination and kind of uh thinking that I could just print money forever and like buy everything up mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't affect anything. It's not really intuitive. If you think that like, you know, what if someone did have a money printer, like what would that actually do? <clears throat> and <laughs> little did I know that that kind of childhood idea actually has a lot of Real- like weight to it in reality yeah, of this reality. country. <laughs> and, and a lot of countries in the past as well. Yeah. But basically since uh since 2017 I've been just falling down the rabbit hole getting into Bitcoin. 
it's like one of the most important kind of technologies and areas of inquiry mm -hmm. that I've discovered as an adult. And it kind of hits right at the deepest history of money and like what money is and what free trade is and how we even got to where we are in a lot of ways. And it's, it's a really deep and, and cool topic. And I think that a lot of economics and finance is boring actually. Mm. Like they, they've almost put a bunch of labels and abstractions onto it to obscure what's really there. I think it's really what, confusing for a lot of younger people too. Maybe not younger, probably like mid twenties. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe late twenties now. Well, it's unless you have the right um, kind of upbringing because like financial, financial literacy, they'll say, which I would argue in a lot of ways, financial literacy is really just how well do you understand the system given to you? Because it's always conditional. Yeah. You know, you would think that just there could be a solid good rule for money, like save your money. And yeah, that's a good rule. But if you save cash in certain times, like if you just save the currency that you're given from your government, you might just be getting poor. Right. Like super right. poor over time. Like if you do that in Venezuela, you over the last 10 years, even if you were making tons of money, you just would have been getting poorer and poorer. So then you're in a scenario where you're like, I have to put my money in other places. Where do I even put it? Mm. And so kids, uh, there's a, there's a really popular like finance self-help book called rich dad, poor dad. It, it just kind of talks about this idea of like this guy who had a friend's dad who was like rich and successful and taught him certain things versus his own dad mm -hmm. who had a certain mindset, you know? And, and so there's the kind of this idea of like, you can teach someone when, when they're young to uh, understand the market and understand where good places to put money. But still, this is all like an abstraction because it's all like on our current system which where does that even come from? And that's uh, it's it's a really deep question. But I, I like to I like to think about if um, if you imagine that everything money touches or everything money impacts in our current world today, it's like millions of different things. Hmm. Like money impacts music, <clears throat> art, and culture, and politics, mm -hmm. and obviously like markets, what things are made. If you try to look at everything and figure out how money affects it, it would take so long. Mm. <laughs> like, because you would have to look at everything and it'd be really uh, detailed. And so, the best way really to understand it, I think, is to go back to the root to like the most simple properties. And then s from the root, you can see how those properties evolve and spread to everything else. Mm -hmm. And so like that's that's kind of the I'm always pulling back in order to understand things or trying to understand things, especially when it comes to money. Uh, so uh, was like the the U.S. currency, did it just like come about as soon as we became a country or did we have like currency when we like when we first got here or something or not got here, but like one of the first states was made? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, Definitely. Um, 
and, and really we, we did already have a currency and mostly all of the currencies in the world at that point in the 1700s were various forms of precious metals, mostly gold, silver. Yeah. Like didn't the, so did the British, like, is that what they used? Did we get it from them? essentially like did our economy just morph from whatever they were using across the pond <laughs> during that time yeah to, to some extent but it even goes back earlier than that mm. because precious for precious precious metals were actually an advanced money at that point in human history <clears throat> i mean to understand money well like one thing about young people that they're actually getting nowadays i'm i'm seeing this meme more and more the young people kind of get is that money's kind of made up it's a story uh it's just paper you know like that's what people say and there's actually a lot of truth to that but it's when you understand that that like that story exists to serve a purpose and that there is certain properties that make it better make something better at being a money than something else and that money is just meant to exchange <clears throat> and and this actually goes back to even the tribe where um have you ever heard of like division of labor it's a fancy economic term mm -hmm. that just means specialization it means that like mm -hmm. if we're in a tribe if there's enough of us i can kind of maybe be the more of a hunting specialist and um, maybe you can make tools positions like, yeah, exactly. It's like because there's someone helping collect the food, I can now spend more time doing whatever I'm good at. So like a job. Yeah, like, like a job. Like a modern day workforce. <laughs> yeah. At a, at a business. Yeah, and it, it's not immediately intuitive that it would be better, like if we have a tribe of 10 people, it's like would it be better to uh, all of us kind of be generalists and we can kind of – dynamically switch between things and mostly we're the same in everything. It's like you think about that versus what if we all specialize in one thing and like go really deep in that one thing. When you first think about it, maybe it's uh, doesn't seem like one would be too much better than the other. But in reality, because humans are like innovative, when we specialize, it's not just that we get really good at something, but we get better at even producing it. Like, if you're making shoes, if that's all you do, chances are you'll get, you'll make better quality shoes and you'll even be able to make more in a day or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So people like they actually dig in and they increase the productivity. Mm -hmm. And once all the 10 people, instead of just like kind of bouncing around and doing the same thing for a thousand years in a tribe, they're all leaning into their own niche and becoming more productive at it. And it kind of elevates all of them up to a level that wasn't possible before. Yeah. And this is like a, this is something that, you know, children could understand this concept. <laughs> like they don't teach it. And it's so important as to why money exists. And so like, if you imagine that tribe where we're all starting to specialize, you're making shoes and I'm bringing back meat or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we then mediate the exchange between stuff? And, and that's kind of where money comes in. But first it's free trade because people will just barter and trade, you know, I'll trade you a, a hunk of meat for a pair of shoes or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
But as you need to scale that up to more complex transactions or more people transacting, you kind of need something at which everything else can be measured. Mm. Right. And I don't know, for, for me, that's kind of intuitive. That kind of, it kind of makes sense. Like if, if we're all doing our own thing in the tribe, we get to about a hundred people. It's hard. Maybe the guy making the shoes, maybe you're like, can't make enough. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe there's too many shoes. Yeah. And like yeah. no one needs shoes. And now you need to get like food. You can't yeah, even you need food socks. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's how you, that's how you get, get food. You have to innovate, make yeah. a new product. Right. <laughs> no, but all, all of this, this kind of tribe example, it, it, it kind of, for me, sorry, I, I, I think that free trade is kind of intrinsic to nature because mm. you can even look at uh, mushrooms or just ecology like in forests where there's transactions almost, or you can think of it as like economic behavior mm -hmm. where resources are traded. It's a bartering system. Yeah, exactly. Bartered. They're distributed about amongst individual acting species or in, in, in economics, they call them agents, like individual agents, rational agents, Right. They say all those things. And so really like that's kind of how you can see a market is like agent, like different individual actors, all communicating resources between each other, communicating value between each other. Right. That's kind of why I'm trying to get into gardening. I talked about a couple episodes ago, like yeah. in, in just having enough like veggies to be able to just give to people like if they need it and I need something from them or something that could be of use. It's like, here, I'll give you a whole grocery sack full of tomatoes like for that uh, shovel or something. I don't know. <laughs> like it seems like the bartering system is going to, in your opinion or in your, in uh, I guess, yeah, in your opinion, do you think that the bartering system is coming back in a way, or maybe we're about to see something similar? No, I, I bartering, it, it just doesn't work mm. at a large enough scale. Like maybe you can you, you think of all the things that you need, all the products you need in your life, or even electricity. If you had to barter for each one of those, it just takes too much time, too much effort. Like it's yeah. not productive. Like we can maybe barter one or 2% of our tr transactions that we make. But I think very much that the opposite is going to happen, which this goes to Bitcoin. Like I, I think we're going to return to a hard money standard or basically just a standard at which the money itself is independent of anyone else's control or assertion that is money. And it's uh, put in a property that is um, great for transacting value across time and across space. Mm. And, and really at its base, that's why I think a good money does. And this is why gold beca became the dominant money for thousands of years in the world. It's because it has certain properties that make it just outcompete the other monies. Um, and that's, that's even skipping, you know, far ahead in history because people used 
beads like glass beads and certain types of seashells or all sorts of different collectibles as money like early on like in the tribe example again yeah. you know you you free you trade for a while and eventually maybe you just everyone just starts to count what they trade in a ledger or mm. on a necklace with like a certain number of beads or something like that and you can see this across all cultures like this is just emergent phenomenon of humans like humans eventually once they start specializing they create something that 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 uh, mediates that exchange mm-hmm. and the thing and then if you look in a broader scope of history those monies that last and that make the biggest impact and that the most wealth is built on top of those monies have certain properties the main one being scarcity which which i think is intuitive to most people mm-hmm. something that's scarce is valuable and that's why Bitcoin is – I mean for many reasons, but that's a, one of the reasons why Bitcoin will, will probably become more valuable in the future, right? Because there's a finite amount. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it, it's a simple thought experiment. You have a finite amount. Mm-hmm. You have to buy some to get some. And so as more people buy it, um, the price goes up. The value of it goes up because there's less and less of it on the market. And there's only 21 million Bitcoin, but each of those Bitcoin can be broken up into a hundred million pieces, basically. And so you can buy, you know, a penny's worth of Bitcoin and it's like, uh, well, like the smallest unit of Bitcoin is called a Satoshi. It's a hundred millionth of Bitcoin. And so a penny is probably, I'm, I'm not sure, a hundred Satoshis or something like that, maybe less. <clears throat> and so it can there's a lot of room for it to grow right if you, if you think about that but yeah that's one of the main components that gives bitcoin an advantage it's absolutely and totally scarce but there's other things along with it that make right. it right. easy to transact easy to recognize not traceable um, yeah like an open an ledger outside, yeah 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 that everyone can read and so uh kind of kind of in economics what you call austrian economics which Mm. is like the study of like the fundamentals of uh economics the fundamentals of money um they recognize like different properties of money which are durability portability divisibility uniformity scarcity scarcity and then recognizability and those are all like kind of fancy words but like durability is just strength like it won't like a tomato obviously isn't very durable right um portability is is how how easily you can move it around which if you think about gold (laughs) yeah you know like if i have a if i'm a millionaire and i'm storing all my money in gold like 10 million dollars in gold how much does it cost to move that across the world? Like right. An extreme amount of money. You have to have a security force and like a cargo plane. Gold is so crazy too because you can like melt yeah. it down. It could, it could easily be like bend like bend and break like but it it's just wild and there's veins of it in the earth. Like that's just crazy. Yeah. It's you can you can really think about like yeah, gold is amazing. And it became 
it's very logical as to why it became the dominant money. The, the fact that, you know, mentioned durability, like you can't destroy it. Right. Um, Just melt it. Yeah, you can melt it. Another one is um, divisibility. Mm. Like gold can be, you can split it into many different units. You can standardize those units. Those are called like a mint, like right. minting coins. And so there's, there's many reasons as to why it's so valuable. But at the heart of all of those things is the scarcity. Is just the fact that if I'm holding money, you can't go somewhere else and just devalue it. Right. If I'm holding gold, you you have to really work if you want to get more gold and be able to like, you know, like if I want to buy a house, I have gold. You want to buy a house. You don't have gold. You can't just go print it. You can't right. just go right. necessarily beg for it. Like maybe you could if you were a prince or something like that, but you would have to work, dig through the earth in order to get it, produce work, just as seemingly I had to produce work to get my gold. Mm-hmm. So there's something about that that's like fair. Um, Bitcoin embodies this in a mechanism called really proof of work, which is just how it ties uh, it ties the issuance of Bitcoin to producing energy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really cool because it actually ties Bitcoin to the energy grid. <clears throat> which you know scarce money representing scarce energy like makes that makes sense to me mm-hmm. but i just looked up real quick the yeah. the today price of one gram of gold it's about 60 dollars. <laughs> 60 dollars, yeah. yeah an ounce is like almost two thousand yeah it, gold has held its value even even in a lot of ways up till today but you know, I was just curious. I didn't know if I have any gold things. <laughs> I was like, damn, yeah. I could uh, maybe sell some of that. <laughs> well, do you remember like when all of the uh, cash for gold places popped oh, up? Oh, yeah. Like they was really that because all gold up? was super uh, um, either like cheap or expensive those years or something or. Well, um this was around, at least I really noticed it in Oklahoma, all of these places popping up around 2008. Yeah. Which is around when the financial crisis right, happened. Right, right. And this is because these are, these are people, you know, starting businesses that have cash and they want to buy gold. Mm-hmm. And they're basically just saying, I don't, I think that this gold is worth more than this cash over mm-hmm. the long term. Right. You know, and, and this is, of course was when the government was first printing you know, their first round of a few hundred billion dollars. Oh. And a lot of these old gold bugs yeah. were kind of like, oh, hell no. Like, I'm, I'm storing all my wealth right. in gold. And, uh, and so you I wonder how they're doing now. Move. Well, this goes <laughs> to where we were talking about lumber. Okay. And it's not just lumber, though. It's mm-hmm. everything. Um kind of everything is being treated like a money now. And I think houses are a good example. Mm-hmm. Like house prices have been going up like crazy. I, I hear people talking about this all the time. Um, just house prices, house prices, real estate. Like every, every one of my coworkers that I talk to at work that own a house, like around here in Utah, I, 
you know, ask them if, you know, they don't mind like, Hey, how, how much you pay your house, pay, pay for your house? When did you get it? And they'll tell me like, yeah, I bought it in 2019. I bought it for 300 grand. Mm-hmm. And every time I'll say the same thing, I'll be like, Oh, wow. I bet it's gone up more than a hundred grand over the last year. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, yeah. Wow. Everyone, <laughs> every time That's insane. has said so. Maybe this and, is the wrong time to buy a house <laughs> or to be yeah, thinking about buying a house or maybe it's the right time. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I think, uh, well, you see like, um, there's these big hedge funds mm-hmm. like BlackRock. They're buying houses like single family homes in mass. They've got all this cash just spending, spending it, buying single family homes and they're just like hodling it. They're just, yeah. or they're just holding it, bag holding it right. because as an investment. And you think about this once, once again, we're, we're kind of abstracted up because we're talking about our current economy. Mm-hmm. And me, when I look at that, I think that like people are using houses as money. People are using lumber as money. People are using Pokemon cards yeah. as money people are, are, are going and they're basically throwing their money into all of these different things. Uh, graphics cards. I'm about to use uh, books as money. I've been looking up how much my books are. I don't want to get rid of some of them, but I have some magic books that I did not realize were like a hundred, 200. There's one that's, yeah, I found one technically on Amazon. That's 900, but it could just be some crazy nut. That's like, this is an occult book. It has the secrets of the earth. And like, he's like, it's only worth $999 or something. I don't know, but I'm trying. And I bet those books, I bet those books are an all time high. They, I was actually surprised. I bet it's the highest dollar price they've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. And even the cheap ones are like a, a cheap book that I found that I have that I could sell would be like 15. And that was like a paperback book. So, I mean, 15 bucks is not even that bad. Or, yeah, yeah, 15 bucks. For a book, I probably bought it for like seven or something at a, I don't know, half price of books or something. Yeah. And, and books, books are like one of those collectibles. Obviously, we know a lot of people that collect records too. Mm-hmm. Comic books. <clears throat> and seemingly, if you have like a book, and it's priced really high. Like I, I have a few books as well. I have one book that I bought for like $60. It's worth $200 now. Nice. Um, and, you know, usually if, if a book is that expensive, there's some kind of information embedded in the price. Yeah. Like price and car- carries important information. And really price is like emergent information that comes from the intelligence of all of the people in the market. Mm-hmm. This is another kind of fundamental Austrian economic concept um, that money helps us embed this really important information and uh, distribute it across across the world. You know, if if the price of oil <laughs> in a rational world, if the price of oil was skyrocketing. That would that would send a simple message to everyone that there's not much oil. Right. There's less oil. I'm having to pay more yeah. units of my currency for it. That's a rational thought. But if there's people behind the scenes 
pulling the strings of the underlying money that you're even pricing that oil in. That's a tricky, Mm -hmm. that's a sneaky trick, right? Mm -hmm. That's like, if we are doing, if we're doing all sorts of different calculations with fractions, right? And we're focused on the numerator, like what's on the top line. Mm-hmm. And we're trading numerators, like all of us, we're all focused on the numerator. And then someone is sneakily messing with the denominator. Mm. They're, they're screwing with our whole game. Right. Um, and this is kind of a, a trick that's just as a money itself is emergent. Fraud. is emergent. Yeah, well, then they tell you if you vote for this person or that person, then you, the person, we, the people, have the control over what is and what isn't uh expensive or not expensive and that that part i can't i can't really wrap my head around that part either but that's that's leaning more into the politics of it but (laughs) yeah and it that's the thing is that it gets political like i think i think the money should be pretty apolitical in the sense that it's just like it should be just like religion Religion is practical. Money is practical. Like, well, yeah, at its base, like just like as as, well, and this is this is a great example that people say like it's it's a good thing that the church and the state are separated. Mm-hmm. Like the separation of church and state is a good thing. And if you really look into like why that's the case, like you look at history, that's a whole rabbit hole in itself. You know, you can look at the Renaissance, mm-hmm. uh, the the. Sorry, not the Renaissance, something the Inquisition. Oh, yeah. Um, the Dark Ages. You can look at everything that's happened and you can say that, like, yeah, the, the powers of the church and the powers of the state being separate, like that's that's a good thing. Yeah. And and people that, you know, argue for Bitcoin, we, we just say that like, yeah, the power of money and the power of state, like it makes sense for those things to be separate. Right. Um and so yeah, like the there's there's a lot of debate in economics, like I've been saying Austrian economics, but the field that's mainly taught in school is called Keynesian economics by mm-hmm. this guy Keynes. Sounds better really, than uh, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> it's it's not too much better. Oh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> well, Keynes, Keynesian economics. I'll, I'll argue I'm biased, but it's basically the assertion that we can calculate and quantify everything going on in the economy and we can create models for it. And then with our models, we can determine, you know, what, what the balance of inputs and outputs should be, what the prices of things should be. Mm. Keynesianism economics is kind of just the assertion that man can quantify the market in its totality and then decide how to control it. In Austrian economics, what I've kind of been, what I'm interested in, what I've been talking about the whole time, it's more of just a humble look at what has happened and just trying to read the properties out of what has happened rather than say that we know and we're going to control it. And so, so like it's just more data analytic, like more processing the data that you're getting over years and years of where money goes. Well, it's more of just seeing what um, the, really the properties of money, like I was saying, oh, okay. like, all those properties of money, like those come from this, the study of Austrian economics mm. where you just look at, you know, like a money that lives for a thousand years. Like why did gold beat silver? Like right. 
because you know gold and silver were mm-hmm. were going at each other and you know you can zoom all the way in even to the level of the individual and you can see how over time the individuals who held the silver the value of that silver was less than those who held the gold mm. because of the scarcity and because everyone once they became money everyone was trying to get them and it was right. easier to get silver than it was to get gold so you can kind of like look throughout history and, and just kind of pull out these generalities across all of the different monies um but one generality like i was talking about fraud is that whenever someone can counterfeit a money or counterfeit someone's value they take that chance they take that opportunity mm-hmm. perfectly repeatable there were like as europeans and spaniards came over to the americas they would devalue the monies of different tribes that would use glass beads, for example, where glass was like scarce for them. It was hard to create. It made sense for them. And the Spaniards could just, um, or the Europeans could just like create it in mass and they'd bring it over just shipping money and, and the tribes would accept it. And they're basically, you know, just stealing their time mm. by, by yeah. counterfeiting this money. And, and that's how I think of, the counterfeiting of money is it's stealing the time, the energy, the life force of the people who work for that money. And so, um, kind of looking at these properties over time, you know, gold wins out, obviously like there's kind of a meme with gold. It's still in us as humans. Mm. Uh, like in the, the, like the Olympics are about to happen in Hong Kong, like the gold medal, that's, that's number one. Or I guess, do they have platinum? They say platinum. No, I they think it's platinum. gold still. Okay. Silver, gold, bronze. Or gold, silver, bronze. Yeah. yeah. Pla- platinum was actually in there. Was platinum, platinum introduced? I, I don't know if it was for the Olympics, but... People I think that's Mario Kart. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, the fact that it's in Mario Kart, like, it's kind of a meme. Like, it's in us. Like, right. gold is is, is valuable. Um, and It's harder to get. First place is harder. Is the hardest to get. Gold is the hardest currency to get, technically. Yeah. And, and really, that's where the term hard money comes from. That's mm-hmm. basically what hard money means. Is it means, like... I've got something that's hard. Like I've got something that's scarce, difficult to achieve. To hit. Yeah. Like it's a va- there's a sense that it's a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Bitcoin is, is trying to replicate all those properties in the digital realm. And it's done it in a fascinating way. And like this, this will be kind of a, an intro episode, I guess, talking about Bitcoin, we can get into the specifics of the technology in Bitcoin in another episode, but like it's worth understanding what Bitcoin's even approaching Mm -hmm. because people compare it to like Venmo or Cash App, which Venmo and Cash App are like a 19th layer abstraction on top of gold. Like if you really follow the money all the way down. Mm. And so Bitcoin's not going after Venmo. Bitcoin's going to the very bottom of the layer, competing with what's there, which is... um, gold they're they're hoping that more and more people invest all their money into uh their app essentially right 
Um, Technically, like the more money that people have on their app, the more likely they're going to use it. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's a closed network, mm. and they make money by fees, basically, right. and by keeping you in that closed network. Right. When when Bitcoin itself is, it's an open source network, mm-hmm. and so anyone can build with it. Anyone can use the code. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very interesting that makes it uh, indestructible in a way that very few things are. Mm. I mean, information like how indestructible is information. But uh, yeah, uh, have, have you ever heard the term global reserve currency? I think I've heard it, but I don't know what it means. I think I've actually heard you say something about it, maybe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's that's technically what the dollar is right now. Well, not okay. technically, that is what the dollar is it's right now. It's a global reserve. Global reserve currency. Currency, okay. Yeah. And this... This is an important. Um, does that just, be, does that mean that it's like? Does that mean it's one of the most um, popular forms? Because the name doesn't seem like it would reserve. Does that? Yeah, is it a backup for something? I guess. Yeah, the it's supposed to be the the foundation for the whole global economy. Oh, okay. Global reserve currency which helps paint a picture for where we really are. Mm-hmm. But this goes into how the story of gold ended because I'm, I'm talking, we're talking all about gold and why one is the money. It was money for thousands of years. Um, the dollar became the global reserve currency at the end of world war two. Oh, okay. And before that, for the, for 2000 years before that, it was gold. Like this is a pretty interesting shift that happened in the world, and like we don't, not very many people learn it in history class. Um, but this touches on one of the weaknesses of gold, which, in short, is that it's heavy. <laughs> you know, like we were talking about portability, like it's hard to move around. Gold has a natural effect to it along with all of these other effects that make it great money, it has a natural effect of kind of centralizing and sitting in one place. Mm. Um, it's easy, especially if it holds its value over time, it's easy to kind of just like let leave it wherever you've got it. And in the, as America became a dominant power in the early 1900s, you know, the rise of there's the rise of banks mm-hmm. basically. And the classic, bank stereotype is like you know the the vault with the gold in it right mm-hmm. um mr uh, whatever the cartoon duck jumping into it <laughs> yeah uh not mix wait mcscrooge yeah so one of them <laughs> yeah no exactly that's like the that's the stereotype and <clears throat> that that stereotype that's where gold died. <laughs> That's where gold's grave is. is yeah, in a vault. In a vault. Once, once the gold became more and more centralized in the banks, uh, the governments, you know, regulating the banks, and slowly moving around banks in a kind of a regulatory moat, eventually something uh, called Executive Order 6102 happens. This is in 19... Uh, let me look it up here. 
early 1900s. Okay. Uh, pulling up Wikipedia here. It's like a Empire uh, Stormtrooper name. Yeah, no, that's true. What, Executive Order 6102. What do they call it in Star Wars? Order 66. Uh, Order 66, <laughs> or yeah. something like that. Think, yes, think of it in the same <laughs> terms, because it really is that. So on April oh, 6, cool. 1993, five months before my birthday? No, 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 April 5th, 1933. Oh, that's when it was. Yeah, so this is basically where the... It becomes illegal in the United States. Oh, to hoard, to hoard gold. gold. Yeah. Wait, really? So it's still illegal to hoard gold? You mean all this time um, I could have been yeah. sticking it to the man by just collecting gold and putting it in my closet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Can you, can you, isn't that shocking? And isn't it yeah. shocking that you never heard that? It's illegal to hold a to hold certain gold. amount. I mean, this is, this is a key. Keep in mind, like people have gold watches and gold chains and stuff like that. This is like gold boolean bars, mm. like certain amounts of gold money. Um, it was confiscated from people, and po- most of it was already in vaults. And then they confiscate it from people and put it. Basically, they give you paper instead. What? They give you something that says you can exchange you know, this, this paper for your gold when you need it, but we need to keep it in the, in the bank. We need to have our war chest. So is it so scarce that they know how many gold bars there are? <clears throat> yeah, there's a number to it, but that number is inherently flawed. Mm. One, because there's lots of reasons to lie about it. Um, and two, because there's people that, there's gold that's still found, you know. Right. There's people like I have a friend actually who is up in Washington and he's into the like he's into the like underground gold scene where people go into rivers and like sift for it and find Damn. raw gold and they wow. just hoard it in their house. They never turn it in, they never tell anyone. That's sick. And he's telling me that there's old dudes, you know, just out in the mountains that have you know, millions of dollars worth of raw gold that they're like never going to turn in. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so it's kind of, they see it as a rebellious thing. They're like, I'm holding gold. I'm holding a money that humanity has found valuable outside of the government, you know, Mm. for thousands of years. Right. And there's something powerful about it. And that's kind of the ethos of, uh, it really is attracts me to Bitcoin. It's like that independence of like I'm storing my time in something that I know can't be devalued, can't be stolen from. And and that's the big idea. That's the big value. That's why it's I think it's important and that I want my, you know, my friends, my loved ones to hold it. Right. It's because I know what's happening today with the money printing. That's you know, money mm-hmm. printer never mm-hmm. turns off. Like it's happened before. And it, it just comes down to one thing, and that's stealing people's time, mm-hmm. devaluing it slowly. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, we, we all try to work 40, 50, 60, 80-hour work weeks, so that's a lot of fucking time that you're stealing from us. <laughs> yeah. That's a well, lot think, of goddamn time, actually. <laughs> yeah, if you count it up, 
especially if you count up all the people, yeah, all of those hours. Um, uh, hyperinflation in the Weimar Republic. This is a story I'm pulling up here on Wikipedia. This was uh, to uh, basically Germany or the Weimar Republic in order to fund World War I. Uh, they borrow, instead of adding a tax to people, they just print more money. Hmm. So they devalue their own currency, borrowing against it, thinking that they're going to win the war. Hmm. And um, they don't end up winning the war. And then their currency eventually hyperinflates, which you can see what that looks like in chart form. Oops. Um, I'm assuming it isn't working. Yeah, right here. This is this is what the death of a currency looks like. Wow. Is it just the, the units of it go up in this huge exponential curve? And then eventually people, they just drop it. Mm. People return, like you were talking about barter. People yeah. return to barter because the money is devaluing so fast that there's no point in holding any of it. Wow. You can kind of see there's like all these crazy pictures there's one of like, uh, where's that? Yeah, this one of these kids just stacking, stacking just, it up. Yeah, stacking just like, like blocks of uh, fire kindling, fire basically. That's all yeah. it is. Throw them in the fire. But yeah, so this is like a famous, you know, kind of example of hyperinflation event where government goes goes nuts, bar like printing money borrowing against nothing with the hopes that they're going to win a war mm -hmm. and looping back around. That's kind of how the dollar became the world reserve currency is we did win the war. Mm. So does that mean basically like whoever wins a war, like a big war <laughs> they're they're like, are we going to be, what is it? Ren, renminbi or whatever the chinese currency are we going to be using that in like the next 10 years or something wait what'd you say renminbi renminbi or whatever the fuck it it's is. a yen the there's chinese two yen. there's two different oh really i, I haven't heard of that i'm one. pretty sure there's two let me look but yeah is that what that means um well like whoever know. wins in a world war like well, th this is what's crazy is it's only happened once, mm. you, you know, so that's what's World scary is then I feel like other yeah. places are like, well, now we got to do it. <laughs> no. Yeah, it, it's definitely you. You start thinking of exactly the right thing is like China. Like, how happy do you think China is that the world reserve currency, the thing that every the unit currency that everything else is borrowed in? the denominator for everyone else, they don't control that. Mm. The U S controls that denominator and we're printing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, so that's even worse. And, you know, and, and when the dollar gets printed, you know, when we have a $6 trillion stimulus because of COVID in the U S and we get stimulus checks, the people in El Salvador who use the dollar, they don't get stimulus checks but that denominator changed for them all the same, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty unfair. Yeah. It's the same for everyone else. And so that's what's so ludicrous about having like a paper world reserve currency that, that people, human beings control, you know, a small number of human beings 
central bankers. Right. And so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, if there was another world war, China won, like, would the yin be the world? I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, but like, it only happened this one time. Mm-hmm. And what's so, what's even more sneaky is that the dollar was, was backed by gold when it became the world reserve currency. Right. So the dollar was supposed to represent the gold and the volts. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the seventies, Nixon, that was the final strike is in the seventies when the dollar when the dollar stops being exchangeable for gold, you can no longer go to the bank and exchange your dollars for gold. They just cut the peg. And, and at that point you're like, and then in the nineties, the they make it illegal for you to have any of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so the renminbi and the yen are the same thing. Oh, they're just two different names. The people's renminbi. I don't know why it's called that. And then the yen. CNY and RMB are the like three acronyms for them. Yeah. They're the same amount. They're technically not the same currency. I don't know. I'm getting into a bit deeper hole the more I read. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I've, they have different exchange rates and they're traded in different amounts. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So like exchange rates, you can, um, like you can go see what all the, the value of all the currencies against each other. Mm. And there's kind of a sense where they're always competing, but at its root, well, you and me, we're going to, at, at some point, you know, and maybe in a few weeks, we're going to have an episode about anarchy because yeah. we've both yeah. been doing some studying. Well, Bitcoin is kind of uh, adjacent to, to a lot of ideas in anarchy in some ways, but you could think of the relationship between different nations, different nation states. They're in an anarchical relationship. Like that's the true anarchy at the highest level because yeah, there's some kind of order. There's the UN, but at the end of the day, like North Korea, they fall outside of the UN. Mm. Everyone in the world is in an anarchy relationship with North Korea. Yeah. We are, we are, uh, conversing and debating and trading on like real terms with real risk. They might attack us. We might attack them. Like there's real game theory at play there. And all the same, if you look at what governments trade Mm -hmm. with each other, yeah, they give out loans and bonds and, and sometimes they're paper currency, but really when they're trying to secure value, it's gold. Mm. That's what they're trading. So, So that's kind of this, that's kind of the story. And that's the way I think about it is like, you know, money is this emergent phenomenon. It serves a purpose, Mm -hmm. a a global money kind of won out by natural means gold. And there's a lot of ways in which the world thrived with, with, uh, under gold standard, or at least different societies thrived and progressed a lot under gold standard. And then very quickly over this last hundred years, 150 years, you see the story of money change where all the gold gets hoarded we get handed money mm-hmm. and we've already forgotten. Yeah. Like we're already disconnected from what money really means. Well, we're too busy spending our money that we worked really hard for all week. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and look at all this paper I have. Look at this, this, th- look at this video with really loud music playing and I'm just like throwing money on the ground. Like look at, uh, 
the in the eighties, like hair metal bands and like classic rock and all that shit. Yeah. All 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 they cared about was money, money, money. <laughs> you know no, exactly. Like, it's, <clears throat> it's it's like really ingrained in our American culture. But it's it's like the pursuit of money. It's mm-hmm. it's not yeah. like a I don't know a grounding in money or an understanding of it. It's just like this grinding pursuit for more. And you know, there's there's lots of cultural. So so really, once again, going back to what I was talking about at the beginning, you think about everything that money touches mm-hmm. and how it can affect those things. W- once you consider that maybe the money is broken and it's broken because it's being controlled by humans, something that was always in the hands of nature being controlled by humans, you know, you start to imagine like how, how much does this really affect? How does this affect people's incentives? What we do, the kinds of things we make, the prices of things. Like I believe houses should be going down in price. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's what technology is supposed to do. Technology is supposed to drive prices down by making us more productive. That's what the guy in the tribe who gets better at making shoes, that's what he's doing. Right, right. But central banking, Keynesianism economics, where you're constantly expanding the money supply, that's like fighting. That's fighting that force that's supposed to drive down prices. It seems like there's way too many variables in our financial issues like in this country like there's too many there's too many like uh i don't know too many hands on it the way it gets handled yeah and or maybe they're in way too many pockets no it's back pockets way deep in the back (laughs) it's true (laughs) no and you and me we could legit have a full just conspiracy history of money episode because it is extremely conspiratorial Mm. like where the um the dollar becomes global reserve currency that was this event uh called uh i always do this on the podcast it's all good Uh, i forgot what it's called um i'm looking it up right now but um there's also where the federal reserve is formed. They're formed on Jekyll Island. Jekyll like, Island? Jekyll Island, oh, yeah. Jekyll. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, okay, okay. And it's just like this crazy private meeting on an island where then the Federal Reserve is created. And the Federal Reserve, to this day, is the entity that prints more money. They're not even printing it on paper nowadays. They're just putting numbers in the computer. But they're not actually a part of the government. The Federal Reserve is private. What? They're formed on an island, Jekyll Island. Um, it, it's it's crazy. <laughs> There's a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is all about the formation of the Fed. Damn. And so there's all sorts of crazy conspiracies that go back to like the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. And uh, but what? Okay, what I was thinking of World War II. That's called Bretton Woods. There's the Bretton Woods Convention. Okay. And that's where all of these nations met together after the U.S. nuked Japan and kind of won the war. Mm. And we came together and the U.S. was like, these are our terms, baby, our <laughs> money. Y'all are going to use our money. And that's, 
that's like that's we live in the post effects of that world of that right. with world like that's been the last 70 80 years and so it's it's crazy when i was learning about this stuff you know because i'm learning about this stuff as an adult mm-hmm. trying to study bitcoin i was like holy shit why didn't anyone tell me this <laughs> right right yeah i mean it and is it seems it like is, an important thread it's kind of fucked up that like not that many schools touch on this or any financial classes touch on any of these facts um it doesn't make any sense so that could feed back into the conspiracy easily like you could see how someone could really go down a rabbit hole and like it starts everything starts making sense and clicking (laughs) yeah Um, no it's and this is kind of the classic gold bug is like those people hoarding gold oh that's their reasoning they're like well, it's all just owned by the Rockefellers anyway, so there's gold in them our hills, and I'm going to go fucking get it, and I'm going to sit on it, and they ain't going to come get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's so there's the mountain gold bugs that, like, literally go and, and fish it out, yeah. but there's also just, like, more regular gold. investors who, like, just have – they have the knowledge about how the Fed was created and how central banking works, mm-hmm. and they, you know – they want to exist in a system that's outside of it. And so you can kind of see how like if someone really obsessed about this stuff, it can kind of drive you crazy, which I, I have a little bit (laughs) and it does, it does just shift your perspective on things, but you know, um, what's happened recently, you know, we're expanding the money supply faster than it's ever been expanded. Over 70% of the U.S. dollars were created in the last two years. <laughs> so it's it's like a snowball effect as like it goes on, as the show goes on, if you want to have the same effect. For example, stopping a recession. This time you have to print 10x more. And next time you have to print 10x more than the last time. And so, you know, COVID comes around. Well, in 2008... We printed $800 billion mm. and everyone was like, oh, like it, it was a big fucking deal. It was a right. big number. And all the gold bugs were like, this is it. This is the end of the, <laughs> of the dollar reserve. Little but did they know it was just the beginning. <laughs> it was just the beginning. <laughs> of the end. <laughs> this time around, we've printed uh, tens of, well, at least $10 trillion. Um, over the last over the last two years so it's like yeah a whole it's 10 10x bigger basically and so you know it's a really it's really it's a tragic thing and it when you think that like also it's the poor people that hold cash it's the poor people that hold the paper money mostly it's what they get paid in they never necessarily invest it they're always just living paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. paying the market prices for rent that's for me that's me. Yeah, and, it, and that's been me most of my life as well. But then when you think like rich people, they only keep like 4% of their money in cash, right? Like like an investor will say that you're dumb if you tell them like, yeah, I'm, I've got 80% of my mm-hmm. portfolios in cash. They'll think you're dumb because it's like, well, you're losing 2 to 5% a year, mm. maybe more if it's a COVID year. Yeah. And... And so, yeah, it's a, it's a real, 
and like also when I realized that I was like that's that's wrong <laughs> and it's wrong that this isn't like a common theme that's that's told to people that you know you're really getting poorer mm-hmm. by holding dollars mm-hmm. or by holding any what whichever government currency you're holding mm. all of them do it just like i said like fraud is universal like <laughs> right all 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 the cultures have have participated in it in the past in history uh and it, and it still happens to this day and so but yeah anyway we we jumped around a lot we jumped around a lot across history deep history those are those are a lot of the the big points yeah but i mean it's a good foundation but, to to really get started to dive into bitcoin a little bit and i mean yeah we can even like do a, a two-parter thing like next week or something or in two weeks like start kind of scratching the surface of bitcoin really and i'm cool with doing that too and yeah totally <clears throat> or even no, talk more about yeah. the history of money if there's even more to talk about like that's what we can open up with and well it's good uh we'll reference back to a lot right, of things right and yeah. that's why it's good to like to first have some kind of context mm-hmm. around it and, and this is also why bitcoin is such a hard subject is because n- nobody all of us we weren't given any kind of an education right of first principles of how to think about money, how to think about value at all and what it is. And um, yeah, having, having these things to reference back to in the Bitcoin conversation is really useful and really important. Mm-hmm. And, and really the big mental model for any individual to consider if they should start to learn about Bitcoin and start to think about it is understanding that Bitcoin's not competing once again with Venmo with it's not just a new cool tech product, a new app. It's competing right. at a much more foundational level of how we price everything in the world, how we um, recognize value independent of, I don't know, a group of people telling us right. what, what is valuable. And so, you know, that's, that's why it's worth looking into, in my opinion. Mm. But <clears throat> yeah, we can definitely build build on these foundations and some next parts yeah for sure but hope hope i wasn't too ranty on this one no no you're good i mean i uh, i don't know a lot about finance um that's why i'm in the position i am <laughs> so i mean i'd love uh, to listen it's yeah like i said at the beginning it's presented in the worst way and i was so uninterested in it mm-hmm. um well, yeah, it's hard really too to see like the generational wealth that people come from too, like wealth or lack of their, you know, like s- some people, if they come from a lot of money, then they don't really even think about it equally as much as the people who don't come from a lot of money. Cause the people yeah. who don't come from a lot of money, like myself, like are just kind of like, well, this is how the fuck it's been for everyone in my life. And I guess this is how it's going to be for me. And then people that come from money seem to kind of think, well, I'm just always going to be able to have money. Uh, is what is at least what it seems like from my perspective. Well, there's a sense going back to the rich dad, poor dad thing, you know, like we didn't have that. Like my, my dad, my parents weren't, they didn't celebrate money. They didn't, 
my mom did teach me to be pretty frugal, mm-hmm. but never learned anything about investing. Never even really knew what it was that more was. like a survival thing. Like, yeah, it was just like be practical. Like, right. don't. it was right. more like, don't take out debt. That was right. more of right. the lesson I learned. But like, you know, these out of the stereotypical rich kid that we're talking about, that kind of gets taught very good lessons about this stuff, but they, you know, ignore it. Their, their dad probably sits them down when they're young and, and they're like, listen, you don't want to, you don't want to hold money. You want to, you want to use your money to buy things that become worth more over time. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's what you want. You know, they tell their kids things like that and they're always pounding in those lessons and te- teaching their kids to look for opportunities for profit basically. Mm-hmm. And then for like poor people or like how I was raised to focus on things i'm sure you to an extent is just you're focused on the money on getting the money like oh this right. job is this much this job like you can make this much an hour if you're a mechanic yeah if you're, you know like that's good work like that was more of the level that i was thinking on is like you right. know maybe one day i can have a job that pays a good amount mm-hmm. but then if you finally get that job even a great paying job but then houses Mm-hmm. are going up a hundred thousand dollars a year there's not even a way people can afford houses at 15 an hour like no way there's no fucking way and i get yeah. paid 13 an hour <laughs> and see this is the only way i can the, the only way i can like think of buying a house is getting some type of first-time home buyer assistance from something that's yeah. and that's the only reason why and that's like depressing Totally. And young people should be, you know, like Bitcoin can be a political statement in this way. It being totally scarce, like young people, we should be upset. Uh, the, the, the dream of owning a house, it's mm-hmm. running away from us right before our eyes. You can see it running right. away over the last two years, the price running way farther than our wages will ever go. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so obvious. And, it's oh man and these media stories about i I saw media stories saying that like the silver lining of inflation the silver lining is you you know you'll get more raises or or you'll get paid more but it's like what does it matter if i get paid more if a three-bedroom house in utah is six hundred thousand dollars right like and i'm gonna have to be you know half a millionaire Mm -hmm. in, in order to ever do that or i'm gonna be in debt slavery just like at risk if i lose my job i'm gonna lose my house right right and that's you know that like that's that's a tragedy and i i uh on the opposite thing end of things if you hold bitcoin houses are going down mm-hmm. in, in the in the cost of that money and for me in the long term that's the only thing i'll ever spend any bitcoin on is like that biggest most important purchase right a house or a piece of land or something like that. And that's what I tell my friends, you know, that's why I've told you and tried to tell everyone just like buy a little bit, hold it for the long term. Like it's, it's a bet on the future. Yeah. uh, And we're very early to it, Mm -hmm. but yeah, man, the house, the house is thing. That's, it's crazy. Like I've, I've got friends I work with, uh, you know, these are people that are working in tech, making the best wages in the economy. Yeah. Right. 
and they are I've got a friend he's got two twin boys he's like two years older than me and he's just devastated because him and his wife they're responsible and they're looking at this reasonable town home somewhere in Utah and it just jumped up 100k in a what year the fuck now they can't get it and he's making great money yeah and like yeah he'll he'll eventually he'll probably be able to get a house but like right. he's catching he's trying to catch a rabbit right now he's trying yeah. to catch up with that price that's running away it, but then i'm just thinking about like i work like you should hear the money complaints that I hear from these people. These are yeah. the people making the best wages. Right. Right. And it's like, if these people are feeling this, yeah, you know, like that's just what I'm thinking all the time is like, you know, the poorest people, the people on the ground. And so anyway, to, not to further beat that point in, but no, it I mean, really it's is. Yeah. It's like, we should see it for how it is, is morally wrong. But just because of the popular takes on economics, this is just considered kind of normal operations, mm. how things work. Right. Um, and so I don't think that's going to be the norm for very long though. You know, y- young people are already waking up and they're seeing, they're seeing the holes in our money system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, do you have any last thoughts or regards involving money? I have too many. <laughs> I got <laughs> to shut up. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll just say that it's, um, you know, it's always fun to learn new things. Mm-hmm. And I'm just happy that uh, I found new things that are interesting to learn about. And that I hope that this, this type of information could be helpful to people. Yeah, what was uh you you mentioned a book earlier that maybe people could pick up that gives a little insight to your thoughts and the direction that we're heading. Um, oh yeah, there's or even like a thread or a website or anything like that. There's there's definitely a lot of books. Um, I'll give one book suggestion though, and one website suggestion. Uh. The book suggestion is the Bitcoin standard by this economist named Seyfedin Amus. And uh, it's basically a little bit of what I talked about. It's a brief overview of the story of money, how mm-hmm. gold became money. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's an overview of Bitcoin and why he believes that Bitcoin is going to be, you know, the winner, the next winner of the global reserve currency. Uh It's a great book. It just condenses a lot of things that would be a lot of separate thick books, kind of condenses it into a really neat package. What's the title again? Uh, The Bitcoin Standard. The Bitcoin Standard. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then a website, a quick, quick website to look at is WTF happened in 1971. Okay. WTF happened in 1971.com. That's just uh, about 19. It's referring to when gold was disconnected to the mm. dollar okay. in 1971. And it's funny. It shows you a series of charts of all of these things that changed after that happened. Mm. One of them, you can see wages staying flat while the cost of houses, the cost of school, the cost of everything goes up. And there's all sorts of just, there's no 
it doesn't assert anything onto you. It just shows you like, here's raw data, here's <laughs> raw data, here's raw data. And it all starts in 1971. And it just kind of gives you a glimpse of everything negative. About 30 or 20 years after World War II. Yep. And, yep. and yeah. after world, after we are the global reserve currency, we made it like 20 years before we cut ourselves off from gold. Hardly, hardly any time. But so those are the two sources I would suggest. Cool. Those are, those are good ones I return to often. Hell yeah. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Yeah. Um, y'all. You hear, heard it here first. Hoard gold in your house. Uh, no, hoard Bitcoin. <laughs> and Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. Uh, oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs>